You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Gosh, you guys are funny. I know, looks aren't everything. Wow. Okay, I'm still a little out of breath. Wow. Whew. You guys are fun. You guys are just fun. Do you enjoy that? Yeah. That's fun. Maybe we'll do that again. Uh, okay. Uh, tech team, thanks for doing that. These guys get thrown curveballs like last minute all the time, and they roll with it like just crazy. So come on, bless them really good. All right. How are we feeling, guys? Good? Good. I know we went a little long in worship today, but it felt right. Like we have to do that, right? So good. And I, my voice is gone, and most of you in the room are going, yes. <laughs> no. I will be a little shorter uh, today with this, but I have to talk about this. We've been going through our values, and, um, and it's been so good. It's been so good. Jay, two weeks ago, started on goodness. I want to do like another part to that. Um, I think there are certain things that have to do with the character and the nature of God you can't cover in 30 or 40 minutes, and the goodness of God is one of those. I think we could probably spend six months talking about the goodness of God. So I want to do that a little bit this morning, um, and Hopefully, uh, my desire in this is for us to get really a deeper revelation of how good God really is. Um, We have to have the goodness of God established in our theology. We have to. You have to have the goodness of God established in your theology. The reason why is because it will determine the boundaries of what you will accept and what you will reject. If you don't think God is good then there are certain things you will accept that aren't necessarily part of his nature. But when we have it established, it's like boundaries that determine what I'm going to let in and what I'm going to muse on, what I'm going to meditate on. And let me just say this. I really do believe this. I believe God is good. I believe he's more good than I think he is. The minute I think I've gotten another understanding or another level of understanding of how good God is, he's better than that. And I keep telling myself that because it builds my expectancy for more of a revelation of him. And it's so important for us. I mean, it is, it is one of our core values here because it will determine what we accept and what we reject as believers. I think there's a lot of the church, I don't mean to say this disparagingly, but there's a lot of the church wandering around living on an old covenant revelation of of God, instead of coming back to a new covenant revelation that came through the person of Jesus. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the Father. The exact, and Jesus himself says, I've come to reveal the Father. Jesus says, I didn't come to judge or to condemn the world, I came to save it. Why is it that we have a theology that runs through the church that somehow God is in the process or in the, in the business, if you would, of bringing judgment down on people? I'm going to step on some toes here. I'm serious. It's like it really breaks my heart. It doesn't make me angry. It breaks my heart 
I hear, and I hear it. I hear people like, oh, well, I'm going to prophesy judgment because there's so much sin there. Or the reason, I used to hear this growing up all the time. San Francisco is going to fall into the sea. That's why the San Andreas Fault is there. It's going to fall into the sea because there's so much sin there. I'm like, I don't, if God, seriously, if God is judging the world right now, he needs to apologize to Jesus because Jesus took all the sin of the planet on himself. And if judgment is coming at this point, it's self-imposed. Sin brings with it its own consequence. I don't need God to punish me for sin. I feel the effects of it. Hello? But if I don't have this goodness of God established, then I will wander around even projecting and prophesying judgment, um, uh, doom, gloom. I just, I feel like we as a new covenant church have got to start getting a hold of what Jesus really did. What he really, really did. He didn't take 99.9% of the sin of the world, right? He didn't. Can I get an amen to that, please? Okay, because I just need to make sure we're on the same page here. 100% of it was taken care of. The rest of you, yours and my natural born life on this planet will be spent coming into alignment with what he's already done. My belief system has constantly, has to be under scrutiny. I have to let Holy Spirit offend my mind if I'm ever going to mature. Without offense, I won't mature. Hello? Jesus says offenses must come. Why must they come? Because when we get offended in our mind, it reveals what's going on in our heart. And when my heart gets revealed, I have an opportunity to put it up against New Covenant theology and look at it and go, wait, where am I in unbelief or misunderstanding of who God is? I guarantee you, if there's any challenge going on about the nature and character of God, you and I are wrong. He's not. How many want to see the kingdom advance? The kingdom of, he of heaven will advance best when we cease to let our own understanding determine its boundaries. The kingdom of heaven advances best when we cease to let our own understanding determine its boundaries. Why is this all connected to the goodness of God? Because I believe God is so, so, so good. He's so good. I mean so good. Way better than we think. If I, as a parent, being a failed human being that messes up all the time, can see my children, my own children... And whenever they do something wrong or whether they're missing the mark or whatever's going on, and I can have that compassion and heart for them, that's like, I see something so much better, so much better. I, I hate not the sin, not the thing that's going wrong. What I hate is the fact that it's really hurting you. If I can do that as a human father, how much more does my heavenly father feel like that? Some of us think, well, you know, I, if, I, if I sin or I do something wrong, then then. God has to turn his face away because he can't look at sin. Has anybody ever heard that before? That Jesus was on the cross and God had to turn his face away? That is absolutely heresy. It's absolute heresy. You can't even find that in the scripture anywhere. As a matter of fact, what you can find in 2 Corinthians 5 is that God was in Christ on the cross. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He didn't turn his face away. He jumped right into the middle of it. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Well, Andrew, what about that Psalm 22? I am not even preaching my message right now. What about Psalm 22? 
Why have you forsaken me? Go read Psalm 22. Go down a few more verses and you're going to find out where he's talking about his heart. That was the cry of humanity at that point. My God, why have you forsaken me? Has God ever forsaken us? No. You heard the humanity of Jesus crying out in that moment. Go read Psalm 22. As it goes a little bit further, further, you see that God was still there the entire time. God is good. God is good. He's so good. When I get my theology wrapped around this as much as I can as a human, my compassion for the world goes through the roof. Why? Why does it go through the roof? Because if I can just in a moment, in a blink like that, get any kind of compassion for an individual, how much more is God carrying that for the world around us? Hello? Best I can tell, light always casts out darkness. You guys know that, right? There's no such thing as darkness overcoming light. It's impossible. I know I've said this before, but I, I think it's really interesting. Did you know there is no measurement? In our world, there is no measurement for darkness. There's only measurement for light. There's only measurement for light. You can't measure darkness. Isn't that cool? Did you know you can't measure cold? You can only measure the absence of heat. He makes his ministers as flames of fire. You, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Now you're the light of the world. You see, there's something building inside of this. There's something about we as a church, as lovers of Jesus, as people who are just sold out that say, you know, Jesus, as messed up as I am, I know you take me and you love me. And you don't hold anything back. Now, I don't understand it, but I'm going to at least get over my own understanding here and just lean into that and go, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you in this. I got a revelation of this a few years ago. I don't know, it was about 20 years ago, I guess. Where I saw Jesus with me in the middle of doing something I knew I shouldn't have been doing. Please tell me I'm not the only one that thinks like this, right? You do something you know you shouldn't be doing it, right? And it's running through your mind. You're going, I shouldn't be doing this, right? Does anybody else do this? Okay. You know something's going on. You shouldn't be doing this. At some level, you're feeling some kind of compulsion of the Holy Spirit. And you kind of do it anyway. And I got this revelation of Jesus standing there, right there looking at me. There was no shame. There was no judgment. What I saw was complete compassion in his eyes. I got something better for you. It was like he was just speaking, I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you. Don't get caught up in that. Don't give yourself over to that right there. That's just ripping you off. Are you, aren't you tired of getting ripped off? Anybody here like to get ripped off? I'm tired of getting ripped off. And I'm convinced we as a church getting ripped off to a large extent is connected to a wrong theology about the goodness of God. We will beat ourselves up in shame and guilt way more Way more, usually, than anybody else. I, I need some help here. Please tell me I'm not the only one that does this, right? Right? The world does not need somebody to tell them what's wrong with them. I, John 16, he will send Holy Spirit into the world. For what? To convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, right? He's doing it all the time. The world doesn't need to, somebody to tell them what's wrong with them. They have Holy Spirit working, showing them. What they need to know is who Jesus is. Yes. What the finished work is. Yes. What did Jesus do? Did he potentially save you or did he save you? 
Oh, boy. 1 Peter 2.6 says this, For it says in Scripture, Look, I lay a cornerstone in Zion, a chosen and priceless stone, and whoever believes in him will certainly not be disappointed. Everything comes from this cornerstone. I'm a builder, used to be a builder years ago. Foundations are the single most important thing in any building. Anything. Hands down. I remember building a building one time where we, were, we went into it to try to, it was actually kind of a remodel, but the more we got into it, the more we discovered that the foundation was not only not square, over a 60-foot distance from corner to corner, diagonal, it was three inches off. It was leaning. Do you know what happens if you try to build on something like that? The higher you get, the more exponential the distance gets. In other words, it's not three inches at the top anymore. It's nine inches off. It's kind of like that with our theology. If we don't have it established, the further we go, the more off we get. It's like the ship driving with a compass. They can drive at 280 degrees, let's say, and that's where they're supposed to be, and they can drift to 279. Now, are they off? Yeah, they're off. Now, you're not going to know it for a while, but eventually you're going to find out that that's off. Now, we're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about getting everything right and getting everything perfect, but I do think that we need a deeper understanding of Jesus as the cornerstone. He is the representation of the Father. The entire church is built on who? Right? On this rock, I will build my church, right? Peter says that. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, on you, you were, I call you Peter, little rock. Petros is what that means. I'm going to build my church on this rock, Petra, this big revelation. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. The church is built on that revelation right there. And if, he's the, if he is the church, the stone, if you would, that we're building on, then he's absolutely perfect in every single way. Come on, is this helping this morning? It's going to determine everything. It'll determine the way we worship. If I'm in a place where I'm frustrated, angry, hurt, sad, whatever it is, those feelings are all fair. We can have those things. There's nothing wrong with having those things. But if I let those things determine my understanding of who God is, when I come into a place of worship, you know what I'm doing? Wasting time. I know for me personally, maybe this will help you. When I get in places like that, I have to stop and come back to this one thing. I have to come back to this one thing. It's just you, Jesus. You are the one that is perfect. It has nothing to do with me. And I can worship you with fullness of my heart and in my spirit, even when I'm frustrated, even when I'm sad, even when I'm angry, and it's no different than when I find myself and I think that I'm in a really good place. Is this, help? Is this making sense? When I, when I come back to that right there, it's because I have the understanding that he's good. He doesn't hold anything against me. He's not holding anything against anybody else. He's just good. He's good. I don't know. It's my simple mind, I guess. It's just, I don't, I don't entertain a lot of other things. I just let it be. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He's absolutely perfect. My feelings are a true representation of my perceived reality. They are not a true representation of reality. 
My feelings are a true representation of my perceived reality. In other words, they're real. My emotions, my feelings, they're very real. Don't ever try to hide them. Embrace them. But understand that they are a true representation of perceived reality, not reality itself. I have to hold on to that because when I'm in one of those places where I'm feeling distant or I'm feeling hurt or I'm feeling angry, I I tell myself, come back to the solid, come back to this one thing. He's the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. He's perfect in every way. He never changes. He never changes. His love for me, for humanity, is way more than I can comprehend. In the middle of these feelings, that whatever I'm feeling, I cannot let these feelings determine how far I can go in God. My perception is just that. It's my perception. Look at Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know what I like about that? It doesn't say hear and know. It says taste and see. In other words, my perception of him will be more accurate when I experience him. Taste. Anybody like good food? Yeah, it moves you. Hallelujah, I feel a healing coming on. Amen. I like good food. Why, why is that? Why does he say that taste there? I think it's because I don't know anybody who doesn't like good food. You know what I'm saying? It's like he uses this picture right here of tasting because he recognizes at some level that in our humanity, we like to taste really good things. And he says, taste and come to this understanding and revelation that God is good. Taste and see. You know what I like about that? I have to position myself to eat it. How many of you can sit down at the dinner table, fold your hands, and just the food ends up inside you? (laughs) I've seen, I have seen some adolescent boys, they can do that. It's miraculous. They just go, (laughs) gone. (laughs) I have my second boy coming through adolescence growing up to a fine young man. He knows, he knows how to eat. He knows how to eat. I never had to teach him that one. <laughs> he knows how to eat. I love that. Our desire is for that stuff. Our desire is for nourishment. Taste and see that God is good. I challenge you with something. Take some time where you're just sitting with him. No agenda. No agenda. You're just sitting with him and you're going, God, I just want to taste. I want to see. I want to understand. You're not praying about anything. You're not trying to do anything. You're just, gotcha, I just want to taste. I want to taste and see. Does that sound fair? Do you know you can do that? I believe his willingness is way stronger than my desire. Well, Andrew, you don't understand. I'm not in a good place right now. And yeah, though I walk through the shadow of the valley, the valley of the shadow of death, what I will fear no evil, Right? What does he say in that passage? He sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Right in the middle of the worst thing you're experiencing, the highest fear level maybe that you have, he's setting a table and he's going, come on, let's sit down. Let's sit down. I want to give you something here. Taste, see that the Lord is powerful. Oh, he's that. 
taste and see that the Lord is omniscient? Oh, he is that. But he didn't say that, did he? Taste and see that the Lord is omnipresent? Well, he's that too, but that's not what he said. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Good. Mm. Romans 2.4, one of my favorites. <laughs> do we have this one up there? Or do you despise the riches of his what? Goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering, not knowing that it's what? The goodness of God that leads you to repentance. This is what I'm saying. This whole having this theology established in our thinking. How many in here need to repent? Every hand should go up. Now that, that term has been attached to my salvation for years. And it's not wrong. But repentance is not a moment. It's a movement. When it begins, it keeps moving. If I don't repent all the time, I live in a failed theology of who he is. What does repentance mean? Change your mind. Do I need to go over this? Would it be good to do a little thing real quick? Okay, repentance. How many heard this growing up? Repent means to turn and go the other way. Yep, wrong. Thanks for playing. You win some wonderful parting gifts. We have a t-shirt for you, but your salvation's in question. Just kidding. I'm messing with you. Are you awake? You alive? Repentance does not mean to turn and go in the opposite direction. That is the fruit of repentance. The word repent means to change your mind or change the way you think. I think it's interesting that if I really need repentance or a changing of the way I think, the way I get there is to discover his goodness. It's not my reading my Bible more. Is that healthy? Absolutely. Read. By learning, that's good, but you know, that's not it. What is it? It's about getting a revelation of God's goodness. That's a, it's our mission statement. It's what we're about, transformation. Transformation to a revelation of God's goodness. This is what it's about. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I gotta throw this in there too because this is, I live on this. I am a one-string guitar. I am, I'm a one-string guitar and I've decided I'm never gonna apologize for this. Everything will always come back to finished work. The word repent in the English language, if you break it down, cut it in half, you've got re and pent. What's re mean? Again, what does pent mean? High place. Again, high place. Again, high place. It's where we get the word penthouse, right? Upper corner, best building and best thing in the building, the high corner, it's a high place. Repent. That sounds an awful lot like Isaiah 55, doesn't it? My thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are not like your ways. My ways are what? What's he saying? Come back to thinking like I think. If you just come back to thinking like I think, you're going to recognize how good I really am. Just start thinking like I think. Is that helpful to hear this? Because a lot of times that word gets so abused. Repent! Repent, you're going to hell. Yeah, well, I need to repent. I know I'm not going to hell, and I still need to repent. It's so much more than a moment. moment. It's a movement. It's an ongoing way of life. Wow. It's, I'm going to end up with this right here. I just, I want to encourage this. I'm hoping this is helping this morning. I know I'm all over the map a little bit here. I, I want us to meditate on this, how good God is. 
when I, the more I meditate on the goodness of God, the more compassion I have for people around me. I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know how to qualify that or quantify that. I just know that the more I meditate on the goodness of God, the more comp- compassion I have for people who absolutely rub me wrong. Well, Andrew, you're a pastor. People shouldn't do that. Oh, they do. <laughs> and if you don't know who it is, it might be you. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just checking to see if you're awake, that's all. It's, imp- it's important, guys. I'm just saying this is critically, critically, critically important to how we're going to function as New Covenant believers in the world around us. There's a lot of the church that still has an approach. Um, th- their concept of God is, is so built out of Old Covenant theology that it actually states, I don't need a revelation of God through Jesus because I formed it out of something that happened before he came. Does that make sense? The old covenant was there, Paul says, for our admonition and for our learning. The old covenant is there. What we read, everything in it should be a picture pointing to Jesus Christ. Anybody in here ever read through Leviticus? Don't do it while you're reading. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a disgusting book. I'm serious. It's a disgusting book. You read, read, it's just absolutely like, what? You did what? Every bit of it is pointing to what? Yeah, the, de- the absolute sinful nature of humanity and the desperate need for a savior. But even in the acts of sacrifice that were made, every one of them points to that one person, Jesus. Every one of them. So Paul says, everything that was written before was written for our admonition, for our learning, so that we might find hope. How many of you read Old Covenant and go, that's hopeless? I'm serious. I mean, you can read it and go, oh my God, this is hopeless. Well, if, and I do that sometimes, I'll read it and go, oh my God. But if I'm reading it and it's not bringing me hope, perhaps my theology is off a little bit. Perhaps my understanding is off a little bit. Because those things were written for our admonition, for our learning, so that we might have hope. Hope. I'm telling you, church, this thing is all about Jesus. I'm telling you, you can't escape it. You can't run from it. You can't get it off of you. You can't shake it off. It's on your hands. It's in your body. It's all over you. It's in your mind. Everything comes back to the person of Jesus. Absolutely everything. I am so thankful for that. You know why? Because I'm a messed up dude. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. She won't tell you anything because she's really kind. But it's true. She knows things. Yeah, we have a club. We're starting a club. It's called the Messed Up Club. Anybody want to join? But you know what gives me hope is the fact that when I look at Jesus, he's the cornerstone. He is the, everything in cornerstone in building, when they put a cornerstone down, it was the first block that was laid and everything was measured off of that stone. Everything is measured off of that stone. Why is this important? Because he's good. I have to measure everything off of who he is. I have to measure everything off of who he is, how he revealed himself, what the word says on who he is. I mean, come on. The only thing that Jesus got mad at, boy, this is going to hurt. You know what the only thing Jesus got mad at was people striving in their religious activity. 
Look at it. Go read it. He would tailor fit stuff for people to do that came to him with an attitude of, well, I'm working my way towards you, Jesus. I'm going to get there. I'm about 80% right now. (laughs) Remember the rich young ruler? Right? I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. And he goes, yeah, sell everything you got. Ooh, that hit close to home. Now, here's what we do. We take that passage and we build a theology on it. That I can't come to God unless I sell everything that I have. It's wrong. I mean, if you're really going to build theology based on those kinds of stories, how many people are walking around in here with cut off hands and gouged out eyes? (laughs) I mean, it's true. Only the words of Jesus. I'm going to live by that. Yeah, let me see your hands. Jesus would frustrate every individual that came to him with their own agenda on how to get to God. The ones who said, man, I am absolutely at a loss. I am, I am so poverty of spirit. I don't even understand. It's those who get it. It's those who get it. And when you see that, you see the compassion in the heart of Jesus everywhere he went, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. Why? Because he's good. He's good. All right, stand up. I'm just going to pray for us. Maybe it would be helpful to say this in closing. Everything that happened before Jesus exposed the need. Everything that happened in Jesus exposes the answer. Everything that happened before Jesus exposes the need. Everything that happened in Jesus and after Jesus exposes the answer. Want to hold your hands out. Holy Spirit, Lord, you do that thing. You do that thing you can do. Lead us into that. Lead us into that. Lord, I want greater understanding of how good you are. I want greater understanding of how good you are because I know when I get a revelation of how good you are, it leads me to repentance. It lets me change my mind about myself, about humanity, about the kingdom. Lord, I want to see what you see. Let me start with that. Let me see how good you are. Moses asked this audacious question. God, I want to see your glory. And what does he show him? His goodness. He goes, I want to put you in this rock and all my goodness will pass before you. Not glory, all of his goodness. Let me submit to you that if you really want to find the glory of God, you're going to find it in his goodness. Thank you, Father. I just trust in you that you're way better than I think, that you're so good. Lord, you're good to that individual that I came across a couple of days ago that was an absolute jerk. Your love and compassion for him is so strong and powerful. It's so strong. I feel that when I see how good you are. Lord, I feel that. Lead us into it more and more and more. How many want this? Revelation of his goodness. I want it more and more and more. A revelation of God's goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I am, my voice is done and I'm tired, so I'm going to quit. Don't, don't forget, we got a lot of stuff going on here. Mark it in your calendars. Go to the church calendar. You'll be able to see it. Why don't you give somebody a great big hug on your way out and tell them God is good. Can you do that?
Amen. Lord bless you all. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.